Whether it's audiobooks or all-time greatest hits, long live listening to your favorites. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench, everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS. Hackers are after your business data. I can help. I am Vi, the virtual intelligence assistant at Virtual Armor. Virtual Armor, partnered with Juniper Networks, provides cybersecurity services and end-to-end solutions to keep what's yours, yours. Defend yourself with managed firewall and managed SIM essential core services that are economical and efficient. Virtual Armor goes beyond just initial alerting to provide a thorough report on threats, vulnerabilities, and results. Let me help protect you. Contact me at JustAskVi. That's V-I dot com. And here we go. My opponent is against oil, guns, and God. I am the Democratic Party right now. 47 years, you've done nothing. Everything Americans value hangs in the balance. We have an obligation under the Constitution to use every arrow in our quiver. This is the most important election in the history of our country. I believe that. This is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. And welcome it is. Brett Winterbull's Devious Motives. It's the podcast and we are uh, excited to be here spending this time with each and every one of you. You know, I'm always excited to uh, to spend this time with you and that's what's so cool about things. Uh, welcome, welcome, welcome. We intend to uh, take you around the world of the uh, campaign and the campaign backdrop uh, and bring you right back home again. No problemo at all. Uh, let's uh, let's jump into this. Amy Coney Barrett uh, testifying up on Capitol Hill today uh, here in episode number 11. So this will be the first day of questioning by the super smart senators who know everything and are the masters of the universe uh, asking her questions. And it's incredible because uh, one of the things that struck me out of the box was that she's answering all these questions while not breaking eye contact. She's not being uh, deceptive or devious. She's being pretty straightforward and answering these questions without notes. She's got no notes. And in fact, John Cornyn, the uh, Texas senator, asked her, what, what are you reading from there? What do you got there on that piece of paper? She held it up. She says, it's a blank pad. Just says United States Senate on the top of it. She's not referring to any notes. She gets grilled by uh, uh, DiFi. She gets grilled by uh, Dick Durbin. She gets grilled by uh, all, all sorts of folks who are really, really about taking her to task. And she's able to withstand the questioning and, and answer the questions. And, you know, this is not the ghoulish monster that was, was made out to be uh, over the course of the last uh, two, three weeks. Uh, that She's just this evil handmaid's tale woman. Who is this woman what thinks that she gets to dictate the terms? She's not doing that. She's just kind of coming off as a regular person. Uh, I did notice there was a little overheated sort of uh, uh, taking out there on the Twitter and the Facebook and the socials because she acknowledged that she owns a gun. I don't blame her. I own guns. Many people own guns. And uh, our guns never get up and walk down the street and shoot anybody. That's what's important to understand. Uh, people can be legal gun owners, and they can be proudly legal gun owners, and they can be gun owners who know how to properly store, manage, use, say, you know, secure uh, their firearms. People do it every single day. But 
you know, I, I get it. I understand we're living in a world that's uh, being driven much of this news cycle by Antifa, right? You saw the Antifa guy murder the uh, veteran the other day on the streets in Denver. Uh, you know, it's a crazy time. And I, I said this yesterday, and I'm going to restate this again because I think it's an important point to make. You have people drilling into Amy Coney Barrett the idea that you're going to take their health care away. Obamacare is going to be destroyed by you. You are an evil, vicious human being. All those sorts of takes, right? What's implicit in those threats, and I'm not saying threats as in the senators necessarily want something bad to happen to the, to the, to the judge, but what's implicit there is, hey, we're stirring people up out here. This is a campaign season. And if you step out of line on abortion, if you step out of line on an election dispute, if you step out of line on Obamacare, we've got ways to get even with you. You'll see people on your porch, doorstep, surrounding your car. Remember, this all changed when crazy Maxine Waters from Los Angeles, California, went out and drew a bead, green lit the hitting of administration officials uh, back uh, back once upon a time. Because these are po folks, by and large, these these senators, these these radicals uh, in the House, these senators who do not understand how it is you win an argument. They think you win the argument by intimidation and threat. That's what it comes down to. And this is the reason why they have to resort to this. Let's be honest, is because they represent a coalition party. That is to say, the Democratic Party is made up of, of various, various interest groups and, most importantly, aggrieved victim parties. That's what it is. It, there's a reason why Antifa is not this right-wing group marching around. They're left-wing. They, they will adopt the rhetoric of anti-capitalism. They'll adopt the rhetoric of environmentalism, militant environmentalism. They'll, they'll adopt the rhetoric of, of any number of the different kooky things. Imagine what this hearing looks like. If it were not being held in the environment and in the climate of COVID, you'd have crazy Linda Sarsour uh, in there screaming. You'd have people self-immolating like they were on the streets of, uh, of Saigon in 1964. I mean, you, you, would have, you would have displays of absolute lunacy. And it's, it's what's frustrating about the political process because it, it seems that while uh, little, little D Democrats don't really believe in big D democracy governed by the constitutional republic framework that we have. There's a constitution. It was written. It was written on purpose. It was laid out in a specific way to guide the running of the country. But so brilliant were the racist, evil, rotten founding fathers that they actually put into the constitution a method by which you can improve it in a real-time basis. You can improve it. I'm going to take that back. It's not even improve it. You can, you can alter it on a real-time basis. Many people would argue that things like the Volstead Act, which, uh, which, which got rid of alcohol, did not improve the Constitution. In fact, uh, exploded violence and criminality on the streets of the United States. But I digress. You have a very real-time opportunity, though, to amend the Constitution. It is not something written like a Magna Carta with uh, King John back uh, uh, eight centuries ago, nine centuries ago. It, it, was, it was a document written at its time, and it was so funny to hear little Dick Durbin uh, earlier today going on and on about uh, gun rights and saying, at the time of the writing of the Constitution, the 
the, the musket and the ball was what they used. Nowadays, you have a weapon of war. You have, you have machine guns and laser guns and plasma guns, whatever it was, right? The thing is, Dick, I know, I know you don't understand firearms because you're from Illinois. You probably never fired a gun in your life. Um, Dick, the musket, the musket in 1787 uh, and, and the ball and the gunpowder and the wad and all of that. You understand, Dick Durbin, that was what they call state of the art. You know, that was state of the art technology, right? I mean, you understand, Dick. You and your buddy Joe Biden, who likes to listen to the Victrola and the record player, play it for your kids. Put the cylinder on there. We're going to, it's a hot time in the old town tonight. It was a great song over there, over there uh, in, in, in World War I was quite the hit too. That's all state-of-the-art technology. What we have today is state-of-the-art technology. Uh, whether it's something in your kitchen, whether it's the drugs the kids are taking, whatever it is, it's state-of-the-art technology. All state-of-the-art means is in the current time, the cutting edge of the current time. Uh, rotary dial phones, once upon a time, were, were cutting edge. But to, to project all this stuff onto Amy Coney Barrett and say, well, you, you don't understand. We, we, need, we need gun control now. We need, we need any number of things. Watching the parade of these members of this coalition party, and I'm talking Diane Feinstein, who's 87 years old. I'm talking about uh, Pat Leahy from Vermont, who, who has been in the Senate since before Joe Biden was in the Senate. He's been in the Senate since like 72 or 73. I think he was on the Watergate hearings. Um, Pat Leahy is that old and creaky. At one point, he was asking Amy Coney Barrett about, uh, about different aspects of, of law. And he literally forgot what the heck he was saying. Like, he just ran out of words. And he's staring at her, and she's like, is there a question that you want? No, I need some applesauce. I'm a little bit tired out because I woke up this morning. And so these are the people that are making these decisions. I'm going to say this, and then I'm going to get on to the other big pressing issues of the day. This, if you want to see an argument for why it is we need age limits in government, this committee... Is, is, a, is a top exhibit. It is a top exhibit. And I know people are going to call or they're going to email or they're going to tweet me and they're going to say something like, well, what about Chuck Grassley? He's been in there forever. At least Grassley's been in there, you know, since, since Reagan was elected. But yes, I want to see age limits because these are not people who can comprehend, understand, dissect, talk about the important issues of technology, the important issues of science. We're supposed to trust the science. Many of these people are sitting on these Senate committees and, and, and in the House, and, and they've been in there since, like, uh, we only had, like, uh, 42 states. I mean, it's, it's a disgrace, and it's not representative of the United States of America. It's just absolutely not. Well, you want to tell me why uh, someone like Maxine Waters, who is, an, uh, like, a blithering incompetent when it comes to economics, is in charge of the banking committee in the House because she's got longevity? I mean, it's, it's really an incredible thing, and uh, to watch this play out the way it's playing out, is, is fascinating but tedious. I do believe Amy Coney Barrett has, um, ha has, has gone through some pretty tough hiking here. I think uh, it's going to be very, very hard to take her down, to make her into some kind of a radical. It's, it's an incredible thing to take a look at. Last night, the president was in Sanford, Florida. He was doing a rally. It's got people upset. It's got people fit to be tied. It's got people angry, angry, angry. Um, but, but the fact is, 
th this is the reality in which we, we live in today, okay? You have a campaign happening. The president wants to go all in. The president wants to win the election. He's going to get out there and campaign. Now, I want to do an A-B comparison for you if we could. I want to do an A-B comparison. This is Vice President Joe Biden when he was in, was he in, uh, where was he? Was he, in, was he in Erie, Pennsylvania? I think he was in Erie, Pennsylvania. And um, he's, he's still talking about his candidacy, but in a very unconventional way. This is yesterday in Erie and Joe Biden. Check it out. You know, we have to come together. That's why I'm running. I'm running as a proud Democrat for the Senate. Uh, I, I mean, I'm trying to be a charitable guy, but what the heck is that? He, he, he does this constantly. He thinks he's running for the Senate. You know what? I hope the people of Erie vote for him for the Senate. I think he should, uh, the people of, uh, of Pennsylvania should vote for Joe Biden for the Senate. They should vote for President Trump for the presidency. This is, this is just insane. I mean, it's just full, straight on wacky. And I'll tell you what, it's, it's a frustrating reality when, when, you, uh, when you look at, uh, at this. But um, just to go back to the Amy Coney Barrett confirmation hearing for a quick second. I thought her answer to Lindsey Graham was spectacular on why it was she's agreed to to be considered as a Supreme Court justice. Her answer is really fantastic and and it's emblematic for a lot of people I think that try to go into public service not expecting that they're going to go into the meat grinder. Here is uh, Amy Coney Barrett talking about the decision she made to put it all out there and to potentially be a Supreme Court justice. Feel to be nominated for the Supreme Court of the United States? Um, well, Senator, I've tried to be on a media blackout for the sake of my mental health, but you know, you can't keep yourself walled off from everything, and I'm aware of a lot of the caricatures that are floating around. So I think what I would like to say in response to that question is that, um, look, I've made distinct choices. I've decided to pursue a career and have a large family. I have a multiracial family. Our faith is important to us. Um, all of those things are true, but they are my choices. And in my personal interactions with people, I mean, I have a life brimming with people who've made different choices, and I've never tried in my personal life to impose my choices on them. And the same is true professionally. I mean, I apply the law. And, and Senator, I think um, I should say why I'm sitting in this seat in response to that question, too why I've agreed to be here, because I don't think it's any secret to any of you or to the American people that this is a really difficult, some might say excruciating, process. Um, and Jesse and I had a very brief amount of time to make a decision with momentous consequences for our family. We knew that our lives would be combed over for any negative detail. We knew that our faith would be caricatured. We knew our family would be attacked. And so we had to decide whether those difficulties would be worth it, because what sane person would go through that if there wasn't a benefit on the other side? And the benefit, I think, is that I'm committed to the rule of law and the role of the Supreme Court in dispensing equal justice for all. And I'm not the only person who could do this job, but I was asked, and it would be difficult for anyone. So why should I say someone else should do the difficulty if the difficulty is the only reason to say no, I should serve my country? And my family's all in on that because they share my belief in the rule of law. It's wildly important to listen to what she said in that answer for two reasons. One, um, the Kamala Harris wing of the party is going to try to turn her into some kind of a, a caricature or a monster. 
This is a person who is unbelievably accomplished. And make no mistake, if her political orientation had been progressive, had she been a, a fire-breathing defender of abortion, uh, somebody who believed in socialized medicine, and, and, and somebody who believed in the end of capitalism as we know it, given the opportunity, she, she would not be sitting on the United States Supreme Court. This woman with this intellectual firepower would be somebody running alongside Joe Biden on that ticket or maybe heading up the ticket. Thank goodness she has the good sense to embrace freedom, liberty, and free enterprise. I'm Brett Witterbull. You're listening to Devious Motives, Episode 11. Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. You're listening to Devious Motives. I am Brett Witterbull. It is Devious Motives. I'm happy to be here with you breaking all these uh, stories down. You know, it's funny. I, I, I get emails from people. I get uh, text messages, uh, tweets from folks who will alternately refer to the program as uh, Deceptive Motives and Devious Motives. I get it's very similar in terms of the uh, the ideation, but it, it really, it's devious motives because deceptive motives means just like straight out lying. And yes, politicians do straight out lie. Devious is more cunning. It's more strategic. It's it's got a little more class to it rather than just liars lying to you about their lies. I mean, it's really uh, it, it is a really an incredible way to look at the. Uh, the way we are we are playing things out here. CBS has obtained a 94-page outline showing that the FBI and Chris Steele uh, collaborated in the use of media reporting. What does this mean to you? This means a lot. It means the, uh, the press, in this case, are a bunch of liars for hire. Uh, CBS News' uh, Catherine Harridge obtained a 94-page spreadsheet showing the dates of media reports, dates of steel reports on the same material, and the FBI effort to verify or validate the circular process. In essence, the evidence that exists uh, of this process was shared uh, almost three years ago, but now we know the names, and this is hugely important. So a, a former uh, SSCI staffer, Dan Jones, and a former Wall Street Journal reporter named Glenn Simpson and Simpson's crew at Fusion GPS pitched and planted phony Trump-Russia evidence with the media, simultaneously gave those fake points to Christopher Steele to supplement the dossier using the same method of Ezra Klein's journalist replication. So Dan Jones and Fusion GPS paid journalists to run stories about Trump-Russia collusion when there was no evidence. Now, I get it. There's nothing sexy about Trump-Russia collusion anymore. Nobody cares about Trump-Russia collusion anymore. But what you created was... Two dirtbags got together and said Trump and Russia are working together. Then they went to dirtbag at the Wall Street Journal, dirtbag at the New York Times, dirtbag at NBC News. And, and they said, hey, Trump and Russia are colluding, man. They've got the Trump Tower. They've got a plan. They got all this stuff. And then they hung up the phone and they went over to Christopher Steele and they said, hey, put this in the dossier. Boom. And you created a circular confirmation. Essentially, what you had happening with these lying reporters and journalists and Chris Steele is a pump and dump scheme to pump up the notion of the Trump-Russia collusion narrative and then dump the president via impeachment or, or whatever else cro crooked Andrew Weissman and Bob Mueller uh, were trying to put together. Steele used that same information from Jones Infusion in his dossier, and then cited the planted media reports as evidence to substantiate. 
The dossier is then provided to the FBI. The journalists then provide indulgences to the FBI as part of a collaboration. The FBI, and we're talking Lisa Page and Petey Strzok, and the public information officer, Mike Cortan, leaked the outcomes of the dossier investigative process to those same reporters that reported on the originating material. These are lying liars. And, and this spreadsheet that has now come out has names and dates of the reporting, has names and dates of the effort that was made to, uh, to, to cook this thing up. This president... I'll tell you what, uh, Lynn Wood ought to, ought to enlist the president as a client and figure out how to sue these media outlets. That's my, that's my personal opinion. Michael Isakoff highlighted the level of how enmeshed the media was with the Fusion team. Back in February of 2018, Isakoff admitted his reporting was being used by the DOJ and the FBI to advance the political objectives of John Brennan and those guys. This is so dirty. This is so awful. When you hear uh, about things like uh, being framed or accused of a crime you didn't commit, this is literally that. And it ought to be addressed. It ought to be considered. It ought to be um, uh, something that people should be held to account for. They tell you that the president misled you on COVID. They tell you that the president knew that COVID was more dangerous than it was, right? That was, that was the, the, Woodward, the Woodward book, right? You had in real time for three years outlets like MSNBC, NBC News itself, ABC News, at uh, all being a part of this knowingly lying to the American people and knowingly attempting to try to overthrow an elected president of the United States. It's absolutely horrible. It's a shame that none of this is going to ever really see the light of day because it's not sexy. It's not exciting. And most people kind of look at this and go, oh, yeah, that's right. They did try to impeach him. But, you know, the Russia thing didn't really happen. So, I mean, you know, I mean, this is what you basically got. Well, wait till you see what happens after the conclusion of this next election coming up here in just a matter of, of weeks. Because uh, Antifa and the street terrorists and the street brigades are, are being incredibly busy as we speak. An organization, a radical left wing Activists posted an online guide to disruption that outlines a plan to shut down the country and force President Trump from power in the event that the 2020 election is too close to call. The guide, quote, Stopping the Coup, which is available as a Google document, is being circulated by a group called Shutdown DC. It casts its plan for disruption as a response to an imagined, quote, coup by the president in case of a close election. In an email promoting the guide, Shutdown DC has declared, and this is the exact wording of this, folks, that I got my hands on, preventing Donald Trump from stealing the election and remaining in office is likely to take mass, sustained, disruptive movements all over the country. They're looking to go around the country and have movements all over the country, on your lawn, on the sidewalk, in the streets, at your kid's school. They're going to have movements everywhere. And they're going to have those movements laying everywhere that you want to try to step when you try to go to work. They're laying movements. That's no good. Parts of the guide are committed to ensuring, quote, a fair election. Parts of it, though, read like a manual for staging a coup. In the context of a coup or highly contested election, we need to be clear that our actions must directly affect structures and pillars of power. Our largest asset in this regard utilizes the ideas of noncompliance through massive broad-based direct action. What are we talking about? Are we, are we talking weather underground here? Are we talking about bombings, shootings? What are we talking about?
What did I say at the beginning of this uh, uh, Devious Motives podcast? I told you they're doing a trial run on Judge Barrett. They're, they're trying to say to Judge Barrett, you get on that bench and you don't play ball the way we and Soros and company want you to play ball. You're going to be sorry. So they're threatening to go out and have movements everywhere. And they're threatening to get out there and, 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 and bring about uh, a physically demanding and, and attacking institutions to try to make sure that the president, if he wins or doesn't, is driven from power. I mean, th this, is, this is what you get when you have radical Hollywood money, Silicon Valley money, Chicom money, and Soros money all kind of sloshing around inside the same trough. And if anybody thinks that this isn't a pay-for-play deal, just go back and watch what happened with groups like Pueblas Sin Fronteras. Remember them? You don't remember Pueblas Sin Fronteras? Pueblas Sin Fronteras, People Without Borders, was the original migrant caravan effort funded by GS himself and his open source, uh, his open society uh, um, subgroups. Uh, th this, is, this is what the migrant caravan was in 2018. And do you remember what happened? You had people like Barack Obama going on TV saying, uh, there's no way they're going to be able to walk from Mexico City uh, all the way to America. And then they were there in like three days because they got on trains. The train was called La Bestia, the beast. And they would climb on the train and they'd ride the train up to the U.S. border, flooding the zone in the hopes that President Trump would overcorrect, would treat the, uh, the, 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 these folks uh, poorly, and that you would have uh, more of a story to use. This is much of this is already the same architecture that's been used in the past. Much of this is the same architecture, street demonstrations, etc. Essentially, what you've got from the shutdown DC group is they would be like the head of this Antifa caliphate, and they're issuing fatwas out there to, to the rest of the country about what's going to happen to you at your house if you don't play ball and try to get the, uh, the president out of power. And I know it sounds radical. It sounds crazy. It sounds frightening. You can't put this past anybody. You, you just can't. The pressure campaign continuing, though, in an interesting way as we continue to document the, the ebbs and the flows of this campaign. Uh, five Democratic U.S. senators back on last Thursday asked BlackRock Incorporated, that's a big uh, investment vehicle, to justify why it rarely supported shareholder resolutions tied to climate change issues despite its increased focus on the environment this year. The proxy voting record of the top asset manager is, quote, troubling and inconsistent, according to a letter sent by uh, the office of U.S. Senator Brian Schatz. Brian Schatz from Hawaii. Yeah, Schatz, uh, uh, he, he, he got four other people to sign on to this. In a statement sent by a spokesperson, BlackRock said its work on behalf of clients includes both voting and engagement or talks with uh, corporate managers. It cited certain negative proxy votes this year. Essentially, what's happening is a guy called Schatz and Maisie Hirono and the rest of these folks have all gotten together and said, okay, we got to start shaking down big corporations and investment funds because we're not getting the kind of change that we need. We, we need to see some serious changing manifest itself. Climate change has been remarkably below the radar. But for the fact that you've had Biden deny he wants to ban fracking and then say he supports the fracking and then he wants to ban the fracking. And but for the fact that you've heard from Kamala Harris, a variety of different positions that she has staked out, even though she represents the single most radical uh, uh, state in the union when it comes to climate regulation. 
There are rolling blackouts in California. There was there there, there was there are homeless camps aplenty. Uh, it is a substantially mismanaged state who cares more about punishing gig workers than it does producing gigawatts of electricity. Um, but what they have decided is, okay, we're going to start shaking down the hedge funds and the investment funds, places like BlackRock, because that's where the money is. They are nervous if we deploy the mob, uh, Antifa, whoever, against these executives' homes, and we're going to make them kick in more money. What's interesting is, I did see an interview with the, with the head of BlackRock earlier today having a conversation uh, over on CNBC, and, and he made it plain that they have been committed and they have been engaged in a lot of conversations with their, with, with, with their uh, proxy power to uh, change the way the climate is being handled in the country. So, you know, to come around and to kind of just like uh, pummel the guy over this and pummel that organization over this, I think is profoundly unfair. You know, it's 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 really a it's it's really a a shame when you when you look at the way this is this is unfolding, right? I mean, it's 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 a lot of different parts of this story. You've got the Supreme Court, you've got uh, threats for political unrest if Trump wins re-election or it's close, and you of course also have um, uh, deploying the mob, the woke mob, the violent mob against investment houses because you want to start shaking them down in the way. You watched mainstream corporations shaken down by BLM uh, across the 100 days of riots in the summer. This is a, a fascinating piece, though, by an anonymous writer in The Spectator, Confessions of the Secret Suburban Trump Moms in Arizona. I voted for Trump in 2016. I absolutely cannot wait to vote for him again in 2020. The president's lived up to every expectation I had of him. He's a change agent, period. I would love to be able to speak freely about the hope I have for the future of the country and, frankly, the world because of his policies. Alas, I dare not say anything as I live in a small, uber-liberal college town in northern Arizona and fear that myself, my children, and my business would be negatively impacted if I openly admitted to being a Trump supporter. I'm 50 years old, a married woman. My husband and I have two children, ages 13 and 15. I have a bachelor's degree with two years of graduate work. We own a small business located in our quaint downtown district, I had been a Republican since my college years, but had registered undeclared years ago, having lost faith in the Republican Party. I thought they were just as corrupt as the Democrats. They were both part of the establishment. In my opinion, worked only for the system that keeps them in charge instead of the people they're supposed to be working for. Also declared myself an independent because that sounded better to the people that I associated with in my town. This is one of those shy Trump voters. This is one of those people who understands they're going to get shaken down if they come out and tell people that they're, they're voting the way these people do not want them to vote. I know some people, even Trump supporters, are getting dismayed with things that Trump says or tweets. I don't. If Trump wasn't exactly who he is, he wouldn't be where he is, and we wouldn't be where we are on the verge of draining the D.C. swamp. So that is my secret Trump supporter story in a nutshell. I'm a Trump supporter. I'm not a racist. I'm not a homophobe or any other phobe for that matter. I love the USA. I hope and pray Trump wins in November. I wish I could shout it from my rooftop. Maybe I'll get brave and do it, but probably not. Let me leave you with this at this concluding part of this episode of, uh, of, of Devious Motives. When... The woke mob went after the folks wearing the MAGA hats 
They drove the MAGA hats underground. People might have taken the hats off. They may have hid their signs and flags, but they didn't change their values. And I offer this admonition, even a bit of a warning, to those who march around triumphantly thinking Joe Biden's got this in a landslide, whether running as a senator or as the presidential nominee of the Democratic Party. Please understand this when you drive through suburban neighborhoods, when you drive through urban neighborhoods, when you drive through communities. You may not know who the Trump supporters are, but they know precisely who you are. And they alter their conversation, they avoid the disruption, and they go about their lives rather than expending energy arguing with progressives. Why? Because there's nothing but downside when it comes to arguing with progressives and nothing but upside when you keep it quiet and vote the way you're going to vote. Again, that suburban mom, the anonymous suburban mom in The Spectator, that is a flashing red warning light for the progressives and the Biden-Harris campaign. When you make Trump unpalatable, people just choose not to share with you their taste in politics. That's going to do it for us. I'm Brett Witterbull. It is Devious Motives with Brett Winterbull. Monday, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Missick is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, Monday at 9, 8 central on CBS.